All right, I believe that God is going to do a miracle today. You? Oh, I came expecting. <laughs> God's going to heal and God's going to restore today. If you're struggling with something we're going to talk about, God's going to heal you if you let him. If your marriage is struggling today, God can heal and restore it. Kristen and I are testimonies of that. Amen? Do you believe it? Mm, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? All right. Mm. For those of you who are guests with us today, we have been on this journey. We've been looking at uh, what, what we like to refer to as these 10 love instructions from God. You may know them as the 10 commandments. And we're taking them in reverse order, 10, 9, 8. And today we're on instruction number seven. Let's pray. God, please prepare us to receive your word this morning. Open our minds and our hearts to your truth, God, because your truth sets us free. So God, as we ask every week, please, God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us so that we can understand your truth so that your Holy Spirit can convict us where we may have some blind spots. Oh God, heal us from sin. Restore us to the way you've created us to be. Make us holy people (laughs) through and through. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and ask, amen. In 1993, 12 of us 12 of us cocky, arrogant, uh, what we thought we were world changers, we started working at this law firm called K&L Gates, which was based in Pittsburgh. And one of my colleagues that I started with was this gentleman by the name of Francesco Panati. And he, he was from Italy. He was an investment banker. And then he went to law school at Notre Dame. And we began together and we began this journey. He was in the business arena. I was in the litigation arena. And he, had a lo- he was married to this lovely woman, and he had two lovely young girls. They were just, I can still see their hair, so beautiful, always dressed well in these, these beautiful dresses when, when I would see them. And so we began this journey, and we're getting into the second year, and the third year, and the fourth year. Now, what also happened is the year after we joined this firm, there was another class that came into this firm. And there was, there was another, another person in that class. Her name was Lisa, and she was dynamic, and she was committed to excellence. And she also had this passion for business law. And so her and Francesco started to work together and work closely together. And in our law firm, uh, you worked a lot of hours, and it was stressful. And so now Francesco and I were into year four, coming into year five, and Francesco and Lisa, who are working late nights together, well, you know, she's married too. They cross lines. They violate their marriage covenant. Now, at our firm at that point in time, we had like this unwritten rule that you never rat each other out to your spouse, to their spouse. Right? Just, we just don't do that because pretty much many of us we're doing stupid stuff at that time. And so we didn't want to rat someone. They weren't going to rat us, right? Well, this, this Francesco's secretary, after about eight months of this affair going on, she couldn't take it anymore. And so she called Francesco's wife and said, hey, look, this is what's going on. And you can imagine then what just happened. The complicate factors is, is that Lisa had become pregnant, but she didn't know who the father of her child was. She didn't know if it was her husband's child or Francesco's child. Lisa's husband said, hey, I'll stay with you through pregnancy till you give birth. 
if the child's mine after a paternity test, I'll, I'll stay with you and try to work this marriage out. If it's not, I'm out of here. So the baby was born. Lisa leaves our firm with her husband, so I assumed that the child was his. Francesca's wife, she took a little different tact. She said, hey, if there's any chance of us moving on in this, moving forward in this relationship, healing this relationship, you need to leave K&L. You need, we need to leave Pittsburgh. We need to move. We need to get a fresh start. And so Francesco found a job in another elite firm in Chicago called Kirkland & Ellis. And he went and, and, he, and, and he started working there and he got him a place to stay. And once he got him a place to stay and he started working there, she said, later on, I want you out of my life completely. Ooh, the vengeance of a cheated on wife. God says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Why? Well, I think the answer is obvious, as I just kind of talked about. Adultery destroys relationships. And I use the word relationships because it doesn't just destroy the relationship between me and my spouse, right? It also destroys the relationship between us and our neighbor and between our neighbor and his or her spouse. Now, you may think that this is semantics, but the main aim of this seventh instruction is the protection of our neighbor's marriage. Again, one of the main focuses of these Ten Commandments, what we're calling these Ten Love Instructions, is to take responsibility for the well-being of our neighbor. And so... As we've been talking about the last few weeks, we don't covet our neighbor's stuff. And we definitely don't covet our neighbor's spouse because that can lead to bad things. We don't bear false witness. We don't gossip and lie against our neighbor. We don't steal our neighbor's stuff. And we don't have sex with our neighbor's spouse. Again, God is giving these 10 instructions to the Israelites so that they become a people that God can use to show the world that there is a different way to live than the Egyptian way. They had been rescued from slavery there. And the Egyptian way is that we exploit people for our own advantage. God's way is we live for the best interest of each other. And so we may be sitting there as a married couple today and thinking that the seventh instruction is about the protection of our marriage, but what will ultimately protect our marriage is if our neighbor lives and embraces this seventh instruction and does not commit adultery, that is, does not have sex with our spouse. Are you following me here? As I was thinking about this seventh instruction this week, it occurred to me that many men, in particular in the Old Testament, seem to have a difficult time living out this instruction. Let's start with Solomon. 700 wives and a few hundred concubines. you got to be kidding me. What was he thinking? Well, that was an example of someone caving to a culturally accepted practice. Because in that day, if you were a powerful king, then you had lots of wives. That's how you showed some of your power. It seems in every generation, we are challenged culturally to accept a certain behavior sexually that is ungodly. That is different than God's way. Are you with me? I'll let your imaginations go on this one in our day and age. Then there's uh, Solomon's old man, King David. And uh, yeah, he, he had sex with one of his soldier's wife, one of his, his soldier's wife. 
And then he had his soldier killed to cover that up. He also had many wives. He had concubines to show his power. And guess what happened? If you read, his family life was horrendous. It was miserable, backstabbing all over the place because he didn't live this seven instruction. And then you got Abraham and Sarah. That's an interesting one. God promises that he's going to give them a child. Sarah gets a little anxious there and says, I don't know. I don't really trust God. And so she says to her husband, Abraham, well, you know what? Why don't you just sleep with my maidservant, have a child through her? And Abraham's like, hmm, ha, I guess so, if you say okay. Why would I deny my wife that? And nonsense happens, right? And then you look at the, the, the men of these 12 tribes of Israel. When they go in and they conquer the people that are living in the promised land, what do they do? They, they, take, they take the woman, women there and they, they take them as, as their wives. And so you have Moses coming down from this mountain with these instructions from God, one of them being, do not commit adultery, which seem, this instruction seems to have been roundly ignored by many of the main characters, male characters in the Old Testament. What gives? And it seems that this instruction, do not commit adultery, continues to be ignored in our day and age. Depending on what studies you, you, you look at, uh, we're told that one in five People who live in the U.S., two of five people around the world engage in extramarital affairs. And those are self-reporting numbers. So it may be safe to assume that that number may be, may be a little higher. And the question is, is why? why? Why do we commit adultery? Why, why, do, why do we cheat? Like, why do we cheat on our, our spouses? Why? Some argue, some may say, well, because I don't get enough sex in my marriage relationship, that's why. Well, my, my spouse doesn't look as attractive as they used to look when I married them. When I hear that one, I almost always say, look in the mirror, bud. <laughs> you don't look the same either. <laughs> Maybe it's some kind of power play Maybe it's our commitment adverse culture, boredom. There's no more, I need a little excitement in my life, which causes us then to engage in this physical or maybe an emotional affair. You know what I'm talking about, emotional affair. It's, it's this longing to, to kind of interact with someone new and, and kind of talk to them and get into deep conversation and kind of share your heart with them. Whatever the reason, there can be no argument here that adultery involves lots of deception. Not just all the lies that we tell about where we've been, what we've been doing, and who we've been with. Adultery also involves self-deception. That is all the lies that we tell ourselves to try to rationalize, to try to justify our behavior, or to quiet our conscience. Huh. Let me be very clear here. Adultery is not just a fling Adultery is not harmless fun. It's not true that adultery doesn't mean anything. And it definitely is not true love. We may try to think of it in some way that's beautiful instead of sordid, but it's none of those things. Adultery, and adultery is betrayal. 
adultery is hurt. And I'm talking about a deep, deep hurt. And it is a loss of our integrity. We may feel alive or free or fulfilled in this extramarital affair, but the truth of the matter is, is what we discover later, is that we find ourselves not free, but really a slave. A slave, again, to our lust, to our desires, to our lies, to our deception. And here's the irony. We're not only cheating our spouse, cheating ourselves. We're not only cheating our spouse out of the commitment that we made to them, we're cheating ourselves out of our own integrity. We're not only breaking faith with, with, with them, we're also breaking faith with ourselves. We're also breaking faith with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with our God. Are you with me? And so God gives us this instruction to protect us, to show us a better way to protect our marriages, to protect the marriage of our neighbor, and ultimately to protect us from ourselves. Maybe that's why Jesus expands this definition of adultery to lust. Because you see, Jesus wants, Jesus wants to get to the, to, the, to the core issue here of adultery, which is our heart attitude. Adultery begins in the heart. And for Jesus, it's all a matter of the heart. The action, this, this illicit affair, this adulterous affair, just reflects our heart attitude. And at one point when Jesus is, is, is interacting with the, what, what I like to refer to as the religious elite, he gets really pointed on this heart issue. He says this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. That's what sexual sin is. Just self-indulgence, pure and simple. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. In other words, even if you appear to be clean on the outside, you still may be a dirtball on the inside. Allow God to clean you, to purify your hearts. And when God purifies your heart, your outward will be pure as well. Are you guys, are you guys with me this morning? So for Jesus, the reason why we covet, the reason why we bear false witness, gossip, lie, the, the reason why we steal and the reason why we commit adultery is because our heart attitudes, our heart desires are all messed up. Instead of loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, we get so focused on satisfying some perverted, selfish, sinful desire. And when life is all about me, myself, and I, we will go to the nth degree to satisfy that desire, which then ends up breaking relationship with God and with our neighbor, which is the opposite of how God created us to be. Again, that's why God gave us these 10 instructions to teach us how to live in a right relationship with God and with each other. I think you'll agree with me, if we live these 10 instructions, our world will be a better place, will it not? It'll be a more godly place for sure. Are you, are you guys following me here? And so in dealing with this particular issue, this lust issue, this issue of adultery, Jesus gets to the heart of the issue. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, or follow along on the screen, this is what Jesus says. Again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says, 
You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, that is anyone who looks at a woman as an object for your own sexual gratification, anyone, anyone who does that has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that kind of lustful heart damages marriages. That kind of lustful heart, it damages, no doubt, it damages relationships. If you don't believe me, then ask yourself why we hide our porn addiction. Hmm. If you're a guy in the room, can you just raise your hand? If you, how many guys? We have, we have guys in the room? All right. All the guys are like, whoa. Hey, the reality is if we're a guy, we've probably seen porn at some point in time. If you've never seen porn in your life, can you stand up? Like, I just like to know. Okay, good. amen. Yeah. Whoa. We have a teen in the house who hasn't been contaminated. Praise God for that. We need to pray for his protection, right? Whoa. Listen up, my friend. It's going to get more interesting. <laughs> if we're got mo- besides one, I think we've all seen it, right? In various forms. Some of us have even been addicted to it. Some of us have been freed from it. Amen? Amen. So I'm talking about a relevant issue, right? When, when Chris and I, when we lived in, in, in Pittsburgh, and I was doing my lawyer thing there, uh, I, I think I've shared this with you before. I, I, I still attended church because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. So I was a church attendee. And, and when I would attend church and we would have one of these kind of messages or these messages when the Holy Spirit's like convicting and I, and I know I'm coming to church, but I, I, I'm not living it, right? My chest inside was going, I wanted to scream and shout and just say, set me free. But I was too embarrassed with the various issues I was struggling with to do that. But what are people are gonna think of me? That's the way the evil one wants us to think. Stay isolated in your sin. Because guess what the evil one says? When you're isolated in your sin, I can kill you. I can take you out. I can destroy your marriage. And so there was a couple that we were friends with, part of a small group that we were part of. They, they, they said, hey, can we come out over and talk to you tonight? We said, sure. So they came over and they started to get real for the first time. Because you gotta be real. You gotta be honest. And then God does God's work. And so... We sat down and she said, hey, we're, our marriage is struggling because he's into porn. Now, what I've learned over time and as a pastor is, is that the affair and the porn is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And just as you stop the affair or stop the porn doesn't mean that that marriage relationship is going to be restored unless those underlying issues are dealt with, right? So we got accountable that night and we agreed to be their accountability partner and they also agreed to seek professional counseling. And guess what happened? God restored. They're still married today. They have two awesome sons. They're getting ready to have a daughter-in-law as well. And God is using them in great ways. I tell you that because I want you to know that if you're sitting there and you think that there's no hope, there is, okay? I'm sitting in my office in, 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 in Midland. And it was on a Friday, and I get this call from a, a, a new friend, uh, a gentleman who's been attending our church for a year or two. 
And he, he, he says, Dave, Pastor Dave, I need to come over and I need to talk to you now. Put everything down. I need to talk. I said, okay. So he comes over and he has a cell phone in his hand. And he says, my wife last night left on a business trip to Atlanta. She bought a new phone. What she didn't realize is, is that everything she's doing on her new phone is still showing up on her old phone. So I'm watching as she's interacting with this gentleman that she's meeting with down there, and they're talking about what they're going to be doing at his apartment. Right in front of me, Dave, she's having an affair right in front of my face and doesn't even realize it. I'm done. I called my lawyer. Divorce papers are being written. I'm picking her up at the airport on Monday. I said, when you do that, would you mind swinging by my office and you pick her up? He said, sure. He didn't show, but he called me later that night and said, we'll be there tomorrow morning. I said, okay. They walked in. I was in deep prayer for them overnight. I really didn't know what to say. I listened. I saw weeping and crying. I saw people getting real. But he was still adamant, it's done. I said, hey, how about 30 days? I don't even know why I said 30 days. I said, can you just give 30 days? And and, and in that 30 days, I just want you guys to do two things. Kristen and I are having a dinner with some couples on Thursday night. And we're thinking that this, this group of people, may, they may start a life group together. And, and, and they're your same vintage, same year where you are in life, and you may have some connection. Just come. Obviously, you don't have to share anything. Just, just come, and it may be good to have some, some Christian friends, right? Just, just come and see. And they said, okay, we'll do that. And I said, the other thing I want you to do is I, I, I want you to call this guy, this, this professional counselor. I, I called him already. He said he's willing to receive your call, and I'd like you to meet with him at least once during these 30 days. And then after 30 days, let's talk. And so they did. They came on Thursday. They felt connection. That group started to meet. So they met a couple times that month before the end of the 30 days, and they went and saw this professional counselor. A year later, they're standing in front of our entire community of faith, testifying to God's restoration power of their marriage. Praise God for that. And then it doesn't, yeah, give God praise for that. And it doesn't stop there. They, they became part of our team that investigated this freedom experience that we're experiencing here. And, and so they helped to bring it here. And then they became the couple that started leading our freedom groups that were designed for marriages that were struggling. So God took a broken mess, restored it, and then used them to breathe into other people. That's just kind of how God works. Are you guys, are you guys with me this morning? I, I tell you that... Because if you're sitting there thinking that our marriage has no hope, that's a lie. God can restore if we're willing to be honest with each other. However, hear me on this. If we continue hiding in our lust, I guarantee you this. Our marriage isn't getting better. And the evil one will attempt to use that lust in those lies, in those deceptions to destroy our marriage because that's what sin does. Sin kills. That's what adultery lust does. It kills, it destroys relationships. Are you with me? And because it, 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 it kills not only relationships, but it kills how we just view people we stop looking at them as a, as a creation of God and we start viewing them as objects 
of our own sexual gratification. Because that's what lust does, it destroys. This is how Jesus says he wants us to handle this issue. Continuing in verse 29, Jesus says this. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Is Jesus being serious here? Is Jesus really telling us to gouge out our eye and cut off our hand? If either one, a right hand, if either one of those is causing us to sin. Because if, if, you, if you gouge out your right eye, I was thinking about how I could do this, but I can't. But if Jesus tells us to really, to literally gouge out our right eye and cut off our right hand, would that solve the lust issue? No, why? Because we still have a left eye and a left hand. Or is it because we still have a mind that has this wonderful gift of imagination? So is cutting off our right hand and gouging out our right eye going to solve the lust issue? I got it. Maybe a lobotomy. (laughs) Just cut out our mind and all the lust goes away. So if Jesus is using hyperbole here, what's he getting at? What's he saying? Well, there can be no doubt that Jesus is making a very direct point here. That sin, that this lust issue must be dealt with emphatically in our life. It must be ripped out of us. It must be torn out of us. It must be cut out of us. I mean, what we must do is it must be, we must allow God to eliminate from our lives that which takes us down the sin path. And when it comes to this lust issue, that that may mean various things. You may remember this older movie, Fireproof. It's, I, think it was, I think it came out before we even had cell phones. But it was all about, you know, the computer. And you got this guy beating on his computer, getting that out of his life. You may need to do that. I don't know. But now technology is, is way different. I, I was talking with our pastoral team, and I was like, hey, should I just put up a slide at this point in time and say, get covenant eyes. Just put that on your computer or your phone or whatever. And I'm in my meeting, and they're like, nah, Dave, that's not going to work. Because if you have an iPhone, they don't let that, an iPhone doesn't let that get on there. I'm like, what? And then I'm, I'm hearing all these ways around different protections and my mind is going boom, boom, boom. Then one of our team members said, yeah, and then when it comes to teens, we give them this phone or preteens, we give them this phone. But did you know, hey, look, if you're a parent and you have a preteen and you're giving them a phone and you have a teen and you're giving them a phone, I wanna tell you, you can take the internet off it. I didn't know that. And any app that they get, that they try to get, you can put something there that asks if they can do you first before you can say yes to that. Now, I'm sure there's ways around that too. Because what I've learned as I was sitting there listening and my head was going nuts is that if you want to engage in sexual sin, you will find a way to engage in sexual sin. So I'm sitting there like, okay, what, do I, what do I say? Well, do you want to be free? Do you want to stop living in hell? Do you want to stop viewing people as objects 
start looking at them as God creations again, then Jesus Christ is the cure for that. The power of the Holy Spirit just cleanses us from that, purifies that us from that. Are, do, do, you, do, you want, do you want that? We start getting into God's word. We start letting God feed us instead of the world feed us. We start getting, letting God feed us. We start focusing on things above, as, as Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to stop engaging in the nonsense because it's just not who we are anymore. Are, are, you guys, are you guys following me here? So hear me on this. Sin is not to be played with. It's not to be coddled. It's not to be dabbled in. Do you want to be free from that? It's one of the reasons why, why, why we are so, so we, we believe in what God can do through small groups. And today, if you're a guest with us, today is step two of what we call life track here. It happens after this service, 1215, in room 112, right below here. We provide lunch and childcare, and our spiritual formation pastor, Pastor Tim, will walk you through in about an hour of some disciplines we want you to start implementing in your life, Bible study and prayer, but also how to get into a small group. Because when we're in a small group together, we, can, we, we have a tendency to be honest with each other and be accountable with each other. And God can use that to set us free Again, sin is not to be played with. Sin must be put to death so that it does not bring death to us. Death to our marriages, death to our relationship with our neighbor, and death to our relationship with God. Are you with me this morning? So if you're sitting there this morning and you're engaged, you're, I don't know, You're in some adulterous affair, whether physical or emotional. If you're sitting there and you're engaged in porn or you're fantasizing about some coworker or someone else's spouse, I want you to hear how Jesus handles a particular adulterous situation because I think it'll provide you with some guidance and with some hope, hear me, that you don't have to live that way anymore. And and this interaction that Jesus has dealing with this adulterous situation, it does not happen in some back alley somewhere. It happens (laughs) in the temple, in what we call church. Listen to this interaction as we're told in John chapter 8, verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in, so they brought into the the temple a a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. You ever, for the woman, why is the guy never included? You ever wonder that? It takes two to commit adultery, right? I mean, right? Back in this day and age, right? I think. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, the woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He he stooped down and, and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard... So here they heard. I, I don't know if they could see anything that he was writing. 
Well, there's different people that have some funny things about what he may have been writing. But, but it says, those who heard, and what did they hear? Well, this is, again, this is what they heard. Let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. I think everyone had a moment of clarity. I think that the people in this crowd, all these, I think guys, I don't know who else was there. I think they all realized that they were as messed up as this woman. I think they realized that they had also compromised their integrity in some way, that they too were self-absorbed, self-centered, and selfish. And suddenly everyone in that crowd was stripped as naked as that woman because all of them had been or were adulterous in some way. So again, where does adultery begin? We have this tendency to think that it begins, well, you know. It begins right here. In our heart. The heart that God wants to capture with God's love. Because if God can capture our heart, then nothing else can get a hold of it. One of, one of, the, one of these fundamental truths of being a human creation of God is that we have been created to love and to be loved by God and by other people. And so we have this deep desire to find connection and affirmation and acceptance the problem is, is when we go seeking that love and that connection and that acceptance and that affirmation in all the wrong places. If we go seeking after this God love that our heart craves and this God love that, that should be covering our marriage, if we go seeking after this, this, this God love that, again, our heart is craving and we go to a door of a brothel to find it that is a door of someone, some other guy's heart or some other woman's heart, if we go there, we're not gonna find God love there. We're gonna find hell. Hell at its root is broken relationship. And that's what's gonna happen. Are you guys with me? And we will become slaves again. That freedom that we thought we were gonna experience with this new person, that freedom, that vibrance that we thought we were gonna experience uh, with, this, with this new and this, in this great sex, it never delivers on its promises. It just makes, I think, a wider void in our hearts that now has deep hurts in it. And it also leaves us with the loss of our integrity. And so after this crowd of people leave and that woman's just standing there, this is what we're told in verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin and this is what I hear in those words. If you find yourself today in an, an adulterous affair, whether physical or emotional, if you find yourself engaged in porn, 
If you find yourself fantasizing about some coworker or someone else's spouse, stop and go and leave your life of sin because Jesus doesn't want to condemn you. Jesus wants to wrap his arms around you and love you and save you from that nonsense and forgive you from that yuck and free you from that shame. Because that act no longer defines who you are and that shame will never allow you to get to a healthy place. And Jesus wants to give you a fresh start. So if you're sitting there thinking that there is no way that you can break free from this sexual sin because you have tried on numerous occasions. And if there's, you're sitting there thinking there's no way that, that this broken relationship that I have with my spouse right now can ever be restored because of the sexual sin that I've engaged in or any other type of sin. You're sitting there thinking that there's no way It's a lie. Mm. Jesus can restore anyone. Jesus can restore any marriage relationship. No one is too far gone. No marriage is too far gone for Jesus to heal and restore. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And if you're struggling, do you want that? Is there anybody here today who's engaged in some type of sexual sin? Is there any couple here today, whether you're here by yourself or here together, who wants to be set free and restored by Jesus Christ today? If there's anybody here today, I'm here to tell you that's that's what Jesus does. This is a miracle-working God. All we need to do is get honest. Get it out there. Confess it. <laughs> and then let God do what God does best. Heal and restore and help us live the way God has created us to live. So if you want to experience God's mercy and God's love this morning, before, before we're, we read, and we're, we're gonna read a prayer together. I'm gonna read it, and if you wanna say it with me, but we're gonna do that after we after our worship team comes to lead us in a song. Before we read and engage God in prayer, of a prayer of repentance and confession and renewal, man, I'm gonna invite all of you to just stand with me and allow Jesus to shower us with Jesus's mercy and love. The mercy and love that washes away our sin and that makes us holy people, people who reflect God's image in every way. Are you guys with me this morning? Well, if you are, come on, stand with me. Stand with me and receive God's mercy and God's 
love and God's grace that revives and that restores. And I think we're just going to do this. We're just going to do this. I, I want to ask because I, I think it's so important to, for, to see how God has restored. For those of us in particular who are struggling, you think there's no hope? I want you to see that there is hope. So if you are a married couple today and your marriage has been restored, it was broken and it was on the fritz at one point in time, but you have, re- you have experienced God's restoration power in your marriage, I wanna ask you this morning to come, to stand with open hands, open arms, facing our worship team and allowing God's mercy and love to continue just to be poured out over you. I want you to stand as a testimony to God's healing and restoring power to give someone else a hope when they think they have no hope. So if you're a married couple, please don't be shy. Come on up here and stand with hands open. And if you're someone who has been delivered and freed from a sexual sin, I want you to come too. I want people to see that you've experienced God's healing and transforming power because guess what? You're a hope to somebody else that my life doesn't have to be that way anymore. Are you with me this morning? Kristen's gonna join me here. God saved our marriage. We've been married for 29 years. And Kristen says 22 of those 29 years, they were good. Six, eh, one, hell. If you're a married couple and you're experiencing hell right now, whether you're together or just one here, if you're someone who is experiencing sexual sin and you just want to be free from that, if you want to come too and just stand, stand with these people who have been redeemed and restored, come on. Let God do a miracle in you today. Let God do a miracle in your relationship today. Are you with me this morning? All right, as we sing, just anybody else that wants to come and receive God's healing touch, come on and sing this song. May it speak to your heart and your soul.